Greetings and uh, welcome to the Live Courageously podcast show. I'm your host, John Duffy, and this is episode 65. Live Courageously has been the conscious theme of my life for the last three years since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, and has been an unconscious theme for most of my life. Courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. And there is something contagious about someone who is courageous. So today is uh, the Super Bowl. So today's show is counter-programming for those folks who are not big football fans. But you can still watch the podcast from three to four, and then you can watch the Super Bowl too. So that's uh, how we are. Today's show is with my friend and guest, Skip Press. Skip Press has uh, excelled as an editor, a ghostwriter, an instructor, a playwright, a publisher, a screenwriter, and a TV staff writer. He is an author or editor of over 100 titles, including several writer's guides to Hollywood books and four complete idiot's guides to screenwriting books. He's put together and edited the ultimate guide to video game writing and design, and he's also taught in an online screenwriting course that was available in over 1,500 schools. He uh, his co-created Ask a Screenwriter Space on Quora.com, gained over 600,000 followers in a year, and his latest project, um, is an ongoing journal on Substack called Chasing Twain about how he became a pro writer and found and married someone he had known in another lifetime. That's the short version of his very unique and adventurous life that we're going to explore today. So with that, let me uh, welcome uh, Skip to the show. Hey, Skip, welcome to uh, Live Courageously. Hey, John, how are you, man? Excellent, excellent. Um, Thank you for joining us. And uh, you know, you got a, a very uh, adventurous life that I've been following on your um, Chasing Twain on Substack, and we're going to get a little bit into that. I'd kind of like to start with, I always like to ask two questions. One is, where did we meet? Um, wh- where was the first time, if you remember, or somewhere in, the, in, in that uh, thing? So we'll start there, and then I'll ask you the second question. I think I we met at the um, very famous legendary Pineapple Hill Saloon and Grill in Van Nuys, California, where uh, you and I and fellow compatriots uh, meet on a monthly basis to plot the takeover of Hollywood. Is that? (laughs) And and, and there's some truth in that, Um, but uh, or maybe a lot of truth in that. But at the same time, uh, that's a great place, the Pineapple Grill. The owner of it is an amazing woman who stood up and fought against the uh, attempt to close and destroy her business uh, by the during the pandemic. So it's a great place to meet and to uh, support her um, because she was courageous, a very courageous woman, and she did not let them shut her down and she continued to fight back. So it's a great place that we meet there. And then that kind of leads to my second question is, what does live courageously mean to you? It means it's the only way you can get through life these days. You know, I mean, there are people that are going off and being preppers and they're going to move out of California like I contemplated doing. Or they think there's nothing they can do about the government they don't agree with or the economy's bad. My parents' generation, you know, they call them the greatest generation. They had to live courageously. They lived through the Depression. They lived through World War II. They lived through um, uh, Korean War. And then they had to live through raising the baby boomers generation. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, was, it was always tough. <laughs> right. That, that might have been the toughest part uh, for them. Um, 
So share with everybody, you, you talk about your parents and your uh, grandparents. Where did you grow up and where did you go on that journey that took you from there to uh, California and Hollywood? I grew up in North Texas in small country towns. My father was a football coach and a teacher. My mother, until middle of high school for me, was a housewife. You know, myself, three younger brothers. My dad had uh, problems that I don't know if he got into fights with people or what it all came from. But about every three years, we would we would move from one town to another. Uh, the, The second most popular religion in Texas is football. And, and if, you sure is second and not first? Yeah, it might be first. Yeah. So, I'm so. speaking of that, this is what we're missing because it's clearly not our most favorite religion. But oh go my ahead. God, I'm not going to get to see Taylor Swift today. I, I can't. I know. I can't it's, 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 uh, I'm sorry. I apologize. Yeah, just for, <laughs> only for you, John, would I. I would, uh, achieve such abuse you know so <laughs> so anyway like but, you said so it was the second favorite religion uh was in texas is football so continue with that story yeah so if you're a high school football coach and you don't win then you you are a, a denizen of hell and must move on you know mm. so that happened to my dad a couple of times and stuff and then finally when I was a teenager in high school my mother decided decided a divorce was the best uh, thing possible. Uh, maybe, maybe not. So uh, the last few years of high school were a little bit of troubling times for me. But when I was a kid, when I was seven years old, I was crossing the street one day. It was autumn and these leaves were falling and little wind blue and I saw these leaves swirling in the air just kind of magically and I had this distinct thought this will be an interesting life Hmm. so I was already looking at a whole lifetime and I at that point I started mentally taking notes about people and things and categories categorizing them. I had a memory that was better than just about anybody's all, all through growing up. And it's still that way. So I, 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 I feel like I became a writer to some degree when I was seven years old Hmm. and I was highly influenced by media, uh, songs on the radio. Uh, I remember seeing King Kong, on a black and white TV on a screened in porch in the back of our house and just being mesmerized by it. So, and then as I grew up, my dad having problems, actors on TV that I admired greatly kind of became role models, you know, surrogate father role models, you know, like Jimmy Stewart, for example, you know, and I got, a, I got a lot of wisdom from that. Um, like there's a scene in an old movie called Shenandoah where Doug McClure wants to marry Jimmy Stewart's daughter. 
and Jimmy Stewart's interviewing him. And he says, he says, well, why do you want to marry my daughter? And he says, well, because I love her. And he goes, well, okay, that's okay. But uh, do you like her? <laughs> and he goes, well, yeah, I like her. But why do you ask that? He says, well, you know, when I married her mother, I don't know if I loved her, but I, I liked her. Huh. And I, I liked her a lot. And I, I learned to love her, huh. you know. And so, so, you know, things like that really stuck with me. And when I, you know, the, the, when we saw the only movie my, my um, whole family saw in a theater together was To Kill a Mockingbird. Hmm. And it just had a huge impact on me. You know, Atticus Finch doing the right thing, no matter what, uh, racism, racism was all around me to some degree in North Texas, North central Texas, or maybe slightly Northeast at the time. And I never saw a reason to feel racist at all. But when I saw Atticus Finch and how, you know, Tom Robinson, uh, dies and, injustice and all that it just had a lasting impact on me so i kind of think it was inevitable that i end up in hollywood i always wanted to write books and then when the beatles came along then i like so many other people i got distracted and wanting to also do music you know but when i got to hollywood i ended up meeting so many of these people that i'd seen on screen and and uh, doing a, an inter, editing an entertainment magazine. How old were you when you when you took that journey to Hollywood, and what was that what was that like to make that uh, a decision? Because that must have been a big decision coming from a small small Texas towns to go from there to say, you know, I'm going to take this journey, and we're going to talk later about screenwriting, the hero's journey. But uh, what was that for you to make that journey? How old were you, and were you afraid? What tell us a little bit about that. Well, I was 23 and I got a job offer to be a writer for what I thought was an advertising agency in Los Angeles. Okay. And as my mother would say about uh, hard times and getting a chance, glad to get it, hmm. you know, and sure. I, was, I was glad to get that thing. I, I had been living in Alabama. My mother remarried. Uh, I'd been out there and I kind of really got started on the spiritual stuff. I'd read the Bible all the way through when I was 12 huh. just to find out what's going on. What's this really all about? And I decided I really wanted to live a life like Jesus. Well, yeah. the, the hip, hippie times hit and I didn't quite make it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, got, you got sidetracked. I got a little sidetracked. So, yeah. so I, was living, I was living in Austin, Texas. And I'd read about all these different religions. I wanted to solve the religious problems of the world, find out why all these religions fought with each other. Surely there's one way to do things that somebody's got to come up with, right? So that's how I got into Scientology, just by a fluke. And, and, and there was a little newspaper that the Celebrity Center put out and sent to Scientology places all over the place. In the back of that newspaper was an ad. 
And it was this, this company called Axioms Productions. And so I called them. You know, I would just call people. I, I never had a problem on going up to somebody, introducing myself, knocking on a door. I called them and I said, I, I saw your ad and I've done a couple of courses in Scientology. Uh, so you guys are all Scientologists. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I said, well, <laughs> you, you need a writer. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer. I've been writing things. I haven't really sold anything, but I think I'm pretty good. And the girl said, uh, okay, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was enough of an idiot, you know, that I, I, I didn't even have a car. I was living in Austin, Texas, and I was going to be a writer and a musician. And that was a good time in Austin, you know, to do that. Willie was there. Waylon was there. And so I came, I came riding on the bus out to Los Angeles. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny, Skip, I kind of went through, a, I dropped out of high school when I was 16 and I started reading all those religions. I read Dianetics. I read oh. every, I read everything that was out there at the time. And like you, I was searching, you know, it was that, you know, it was that era where we were searching for answers. We were searching for what was the purpose of life? What is the meaning? Um, and, you know, so I've read it all. I, you know, I mean, I, I was, and I, different things affected me more than others. But, you know, it was kind of that journey that somehow, uh, you know, you, you went in and started in a different place than me. Obviously, I grew up in the South Bronx, but somehow we both ended up in the journey that took us to Hollywood. So keep going. So, you know, you ended up uh, uh, following that, uh, getting a job from them, taking a bus to to Hollywood and keep going. <laughs> yeah. So I get out here and I'm like ready to write. You know, I've got a little portable typewriter, Olivetti portable typewriter. I'm ready to write, baby. I, I think we have to clarify that. Most of those people probably watching goes, what's a typewriter, Skip? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. It's this little machine. And you, <laughs> you know, and then you put paper in it and it types little things on and then you pull the paper out and then you put another paper in. So, <laughs> so anyway, so, uh, so I get out here and I'm like, I'm ready to write. And Turns out Axioms Productions was really uh, all except the two people who owned it were staff members for the Celebrity Center. And they're like, well, you know, we kind of got the writing taken care of, but we do need somebody to run the snack bar. And I'm like, OK, huh. well, so I've got no money. I've got nobody to go back to. I can't hike back to Alabama. They weren't so crazy about having me around. Anyway. <laughs> you know, And uh, so I just stuck it out. You know, and but cool things happened. Uh, I was I was I was cleaning the snack bar one day and Anne Francis steps up in front of the snack bar and orders a milkshake. If you knew who Anne Francis was from uh, Forbidden Planet, mm. you know, the blonde and Forbidden Planet. She had a TV show called Honey West. Totally gorgeous. And I was just like, ah, 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 you know, and people like. I, I would meet people like that. So it was kind of cool. And then I got in trouble with the celebrity center. People it got totally railroaded kangaroo court blamed for something other people were doing, booted out, ended up back in Austin, Texas, you know, on a bus. I had five bucks to my name. Huh? I knew one person in town. And so I went and knocked on Bob's apartment door he let me stay on his couch for a week and then his girlfriend got tired of it. And so I, I, I walked to the University of Texas campus 
went to the bulletin board, found some two girls who had an apartment in a room and board place. It was a one big giant room. And so you get two meals a day and room and board. And they said, you can take over our, our place. We've got two weeks paid for. So I'm like, okay, I got a place. And it, and then before uh, the month was up, I got a job delivering milk for Superior Dairy's door-to-door milk delivery. And I could pay for the thing. And so then about a year goes by and I get a call from the Celebrity Center and they said, that was really wrong what happened to you. We really like you. Please come back. And I and I owed them money because the way this stupid Scientology works is that you get to do courses and stuff for free. But then if you leave or if you're thrown out, you got to pay for them. <laughs> So, so I owed them the grand total of $1,900 at the time. Which was a lot of money. Yeah, it was a lot of money, you know, 74. Right. And, uh, and so I went back out and now I got to be a writer. I was, they put me to, they put, they finally figured out, you know, the guy is kind of smart. He is, he is, he's decent with people. Let's let him write. And so I was writing uh, letters to sell Scientology courses and books to people who are already in the central files. And sure as sure as shit, I started selling books. I started getting people to pay for things without even coming in. And they were shocked. You know, they were just totally shocked that it, that this was occurring because nobody had ever really done that. You know, it was all done in person. So anyway, so I, I was doing that for four years and then I got railroaded again, blamed for stuff I wasn't doing. I see and a pattern here. <laughs> it's a little pattern. Yeah. And I was I was out on the street again, you know, like, yeah, thanks very much. Fuck you. Get out of here. <laughs> and, and, and so I was told that my, my life would fall apart if I wasn't working on the staff anymore, totally committed. So in short order, I went on a TV game show. You know, answering an ad in the paper, you know, I'm really good at look, finding an ad and answering it and getting a result. And so I went on this TV game show called Knockout, hosted by Artie Johnson from Laugh-In. Won $14,000 in cash and prizes and a new car. And it was on NBC. Wow. You know, all my family back in Texas and Alabama, they were like taking off work to watch me on this show. <laughs> It was before VCRs, right? And, and then then I'm suddenly I'm a celebrity. You know, I'm in the parking lot of a grocery store in Beverly Hills. And by this time, one, my youngest brother was out here working at running this grocery store. And I'm in this parking lot of this grocery store called Jerry's. And this gold Rolls Royce pulls up. And it's Barney, what's his name, who was the black guy on Mission Impossible. Stops, huh. stops the car, rolls down the window and says, hey, didn't I see you win that car and all that money on knockout? And I'm like, yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, holy shit, I'm made now, man. I'm a, a game show celebrity. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that that started my writing career. Interesting. You know? And then then suddenly. 
then suddenly the Scientology celebrity center thinks I'm, I'm kind of cool after all, you know, uh, anyway. And, and your writing career, obviously, you know, we, we you gave me the short version of it, but you know, you've written a ton of stuff. I mean, you right. know, everything from, you know, I'm going to throw up a couple of the books. These are just idiot's guide to screenwriting, writer's guide to Hollywood. Um, Charlie Sheen, Martin Sheen's families making money with Craigslist and just so many other things. So, I mean, you know, screenplays, but with all of it, there's a story, there's an adventure. I mean, you right. you just went on a hell of an adventure as a writer. So right. share a little bit of that, that, that amazing adventure that you went on. Well, the, the funny thing is the uh, Scientology connection paid off because there were a lot of people in Scientology and in Hollywood. And, and once John Travolta became a big star with Saturday Night Fever, then Scientology became the thing to do for a lot of people in Hollywood. It was very interesting how that, how that happened. So I knew a lady who was a secretary to Jack Gilardi at ICM, International Creative Management, who was a big agent at the time. Married yeah, to I, ran, I ran across him when I got out to Hollywood. Uh-huh. Yeah. And across the hall was Sue Mingers, who had all these top stars like Barbara Streisand, you know, talent agent. And so Jack's secretary, Jackie Loria, and Sue Mingers' secretary, Cindy Pearson, read a piece that I wrote about William Shakespeare being down on himself, wasn't getting anywhere as far as he was concerned in London. You know, he was just being within the in the King's Men players or whatever it was. And and then he's he's thinking he should give up, go back home to Stratford. And this crow, this raven, lands on his open window above a pub and turns into uh, his old friend who has left acting and has gone into the wizardry. <laughs> being huh. a wizard. And he's like, you can't give up. You're really good. You don't understand. You can't. You can't give up. And Shakespeare's like, yeah, well, prove it. So he whisked he the wizard friend whisked him through time to modern day New York City, and he's going to show him his influence on the culture. You know how it turned out. And then this girl is breaking up with her boyfriend at the time, who's kind of a dead ringer for young Shakespeare. And so the boyfriend leaves a diner in a huff. She runs into Shakespeare and Shakespeare is like, she thinks he's, he's fooling with her because her boyfriend is an actor. Right. And she ends up sort of melding into this relationship with Shakespeare. And he gets all this inspiration for plays from people and things in New York city. Right. And then at the end, it's sort of like, well, gosh, I can't really stay here. And, and it, so it's like nebulous. Does he does he talk the boyfriend into going back and playing him and being William Shakespeare? Right. <laughs> and so so these so Jackie and uh, Cindy decided they're going to quit their jobs and produce this movie, huh? which I thought was the dumbest thing possible. But they did. They didn't get the movie made. Later, uh, Michael York, I ran into him, and Michael optioned it, didn't get the movie made. But Michael and his wife, Pat, had a friend who uh, named Ed Zwick. 
and they right. had another another friend named Tom Stoppard, and and Sabrina Guinness who married Tom Stoppard, and this little movie called Shakespeare in Love happened. Huh? There wasn't any trip to to modern day New York City, but it was young Shakespeare struggling and coming up with play titles like Romeo and Ethel the Pirate's Daughter. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's that's kind of how it started, you know, and there's there's I had many adventures like that where I thought I was going to really break through this time and then it would be something else, you know, it's Hollywood. So I would I would go on to another, you know, if something didn't sell after a little uh, few attempts and I just go do something else that I could sell and make money on, you know, tell, you know, I'm a pivot a little bit. Tell us a little bit about, you know, one of the things in screenplay writing, um, but it also relates to life is this thing called the hero's journey. Yeah. And um, I just got it up on the screen right now. And it's, you know, it's something the screenplay writers use to write, you know, that journey that someone goes on, but it also has a, um, a reflection to real life. Because people go on hero journey. Not everybody. Not everybody chooses to. Not everybody uh, gets that opportunity. But there are a lot of people who choose to go on that journey. Tell us a little bit about that. And you're obviously teaching screenwriting, writing about screenwriting. Tell us a little bit about what how that relates to both screenwriting and life and your life. Because you went on a hell of a journey, to put it mildly. Yeah. So here's a funny thing. So I took, a for the first time, I took a Tony Robbins seminar online just recently yeah well obviously we can talk about that because i go way back and he kind of flipped my life it's one of the reasons why i'm I'm in hollywood is because of him but go ahead with your story okay so the second the second day seminar that he teaches now is all about the hero's journey right and i was like wow okay so a friend of mine turned me on to Joseph Campbell's Hero of a Thousand Faces, where the hero journey comes from, years ago. And I started applying it to screenplay structure. And it was all the rave after George Lucas used said credited uh, the, the hero's journey. Well, Joseph Campbell, Hero of a Thousand Faces. He said he couldn't have finished writing Star Wars without it because of all the elements it has in it, like the mentor, which is Obi-Wan Kenobi, et cetera. Right. At, the same, at the same time, Dr. George Miller, who made the Mad Max movies in Australia, was also a devotee of the hero's journey. Right. So I I used it in screenplays. It helped. And then at one one point, I was trying to write a different script. I think it was romantic comedy. And I thought, wait a minute, there's not, there's not a mentor in this movie, or is it needed? And I thought about movies like uh, The Big Sleep or <clears throat> The Maltese Falcon and Sam Spade and you know, detectives. And I thought there's no mentor in these either. So the hero's journey is not applicable to every uh, story. You know, it's not. However, I'd also, uh, a friend of mine was Lou Hunter, who was the co-chair of the screenwriting department at UCLA, very almost legendary. You know, Lou was a great guy. 
And uh, Lou turned me on to Aristotle's Poetics, which is, you know, one th three acts, right? Mm -hmm. Then I knew, obviously, quite a bit about Shakespeare, and which, which is five acts. And then along came a, a writer-director I knew who made a bunch of low-budget movies named Ed Hunt. And Ed learned to invest his money, and his mentor for that was uh, Ralph Elliott, who had a thing called the Elliott Wave, <clears throat> which was big in financial and investing circles for a while. And I looked at this, the actual structure of the Elliott Wave, and, it, and the main part of it is five lines up and down. And so I correlated the hero's journey, the three-act structure, Shakespeare's five acts, and came up with my own thing, which I presented in a speech uh, seminar I gave at Pepperdine University, which is on YouTube, right? And people loved it. And one of the person who loved it most was Chris Vogler. And he came out of the audience afterward and said, wow, you really put all these things together. Now, Chris is largely responsible for um, the hero's journey. Uh, he wrote a book called The Writer's Journey, which is about the hero's journey. And he was a big fan of it when... Um, what's his name? Who's uh, DreamWorks guy was running Disney with Eisner at Katz? the time, huh? Yeah, Jeremy Katz. Yeah, yeah, and Katzenberg. 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 Yeah. Katzenberg. So Katz. So he kept. Chris was a, a development guy at Disney, and he kept pounding on Katzenberg. You got to read this. You got to read this. So finally, he writes this fourteen-page memo explaining it all. Katzenberg said, I want everything that we do to be run through this template, this, this writer's journey, hero's journey template. <clears throat> and the first one that they put through that template and made it conform was Aladdin. Oh, you know, okay. Terry Rossi on his partner wrote. And so that was such a huge hit. So then it, then it took off even more so in Hollywood, right? So, but I, in the thing that I put together, I found out that, and I talk about it in my Pepperdine lecture, I found out that it, it really does occur to all kinds of people over and over and over, right? You start out in a normal world, you're sort of thrust into a whole different world, even if it's in the same geographical location, that's a new world. Uh, you you have a, a mentor who sort of teaches you the ropes uh, or you have to learn the ropes by yourself of this whole new world. Then you reach a crucial point, which is in the middle of act two, and you have to do what I call a leap of faith. And if you do the leap of faith, you're not sure you're going to succeed, but you have to do it. You have to go through this, this turmoil, this trial. Once you've done it and completed it, you've solved an inner wound that you have, and you're capable of winning the big battle, right? And then the universe 
sort of tests you and says, oh, yeah, you think you're so smart now? You think you're so tough? Okay, try this. And that's that's when James Bond gets captured by the villain in all kinds of movies. It's like, how in the hell are, is he or she going to get out of this one? Right? Well, you know, like you said, you, you, you took that uh, online, Tony Robbins. I share a story of my life, which is kind of fits all those things of, the, of that journey, because I met him back in the late 80s, right before the 90s. I ended up, I was working the post office, a midnight shift for five years as a mail handler. And I took his seminar and walked on hot coals. And he opened up that world. He was that mentor. He opened up all these new ideas for me as to what pot was possible if I went on the journey, right? Yeah. And so I, at that point, I thought, I got it. I know everything. I can, I, I, everything's going to be easy from here on in. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and then I quit the post office and next thing I had no money. I had no credit cards. <laughs> uh, a drunk driver ran into my car. I had no car. I was like, everything in my world crashed. And I was now tested. Does, do I go forward or do I go back? A girlfriend of mine, I was with her. She died of AIDS at the time I was with her when she died. Oh, oh and then God. with a hundred dollars in my pocket, Skip, I got a ride to California and I went on that journey to start again and try to recreate myself. And and then, you know, you overcome obstacles and, and then things start getting placed in your way. So that was before anybody. He, and then when I read Vogler's book, I went, wow, this sounds like what I just went through here. But, yeah. you know, yeah. but that's the thing. I mean, it's a, you can either do it unconsciously or consciously. For me, it was unconscious on a way. Um, but like you said, there's, there's that it doesn't fit every life. It doesn't fit every story or every script, but, but it is a um, it's a great thing to have as a perspective. And I think that's, you know, what you're saying from teaching that class at Pepperdine, you combined all those things into a way to look at it from a storytelling point of view. Yeah. Well, the, you know, your thing is that living courageously, that that's the catch. So you, not everybody has the courage to to go be a hero, even of their own life. Right. Even in yeah. their own life. Exactly. Yeah. And if you choose to do something heroic, to break out, to do something different, to not just get a job and, you know, be nice, go to church, uh, get your retirement, you know, pet the grandkids on the head, you know, that's fine. <laughs> For a lot of people to do that, but if you choose to do something different, you most likely will hit that that pattern. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of built in. Yeah, it is, and then and then you get thrown all those obstacles because you know if you think life's going to be easy just because you think you know everything, it doesn't work out that way. It just never does, you know, because because life throws obstacles at you of all kinds. Um, yeah. And, and, and you still have to overcome them if you want to keep going or you retreat, either or you make that choice. You know, are you going to retreat from it or are you going to, you know, find it, something inside you, that inner strength? Um, and maybe, like you said, it's a mentor or someone who gives you a little extra to get you through it. But then you do, you know. Right. Yeah. And, the, and, and just like I've experienced, just as you've experienced, when you do complete it, you come away with a boon which is a gift to the people in the normal world where you came from. It's sort of like they don't have to go through what you went through because they can learn from you or you've killed the dragon that was uh, terrorizing the town, like in, you know, some of the Lord of the Rings stuff, you know? And so you, you're here, you are, 
You're teaching people to live courageously. You know, you've produced movies and done all these things that a lot of people dream of doing and never, never accomplished. And I ended up being a teacher and teaching these people. You know, I ended it up one time with all the books I've written and the courses I did both <clears throat> real life and online. I've, I've affected positively half a million people, you know? And the lesson I, I hear from that was if you, and, and you know, you could have stayed in your smaller world where you grew up and you would have had a different life and you would have impacted less people or no, or, or a small amount of people maybe, but yeah. you, you wouldn't have had that same kind of impact if you didn't keep taking risks, if you didn't keep finding a way, living for, you know, in someone's apartment for, with a hundred dollars, whatever you did, each time you found a way to keep moving forward, not knowing what was in front of you because you didn't right. know what was going to happen. I mean, there was no guarantees. Right. Right. And I don't, I don't know what, how you feel about it, but I, I kind of feel like God picks people to, you know, go who's, who have the capability of getting through it, who can stay courageous, who can stay on course once they find out what the course is and, and get through it and be an example to other people or help other people along the way. So well, I've been listening to, you know, it's funny you say that. And I've been just recently in the last couple of weeks, listening to this song by God and country called uh, these times. And yeah. in it, you know, there's a line where God chose, chose us for these times. So yeah. it's like, you know, you realize, yeah, you, 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 the, 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 you've been given a gift and your gift is to give it to others. Your gift is to share what you experienced, learned and give it back to make a difference in other people. So you can, encourage them or inspire them to be greater than they are to do what they need to do in their life so that's the gift we've been given to to be where we are at this point in our life yeah i you know i said earlier that i'd never backed off from talking to people uh whenever i thought i should there's there's a, a few only a few examples i merle haggard started a nightclub one time to compete with the palomino in north hollywood and so I was a editor of an entertainment magazine at the time. So I went out to cover it. Every country star you could think of who was in California was there. And so I walk in and as I walk in, there's this round booth where this couple is sitting and kind of holding court with all these other people. And it's Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. And I was, I was talk about a hero. Roy was my hero. Him and Gene Autry were my hero growing up as a little kid. And watching them on TV and their movies and stuff. And I couldn't, I just couldn't talk to them. I couldn't bring myself to talk to, to Roy and Dale. This was like the royalty of the universe, you know? So, but I've, but in other instances, I've run into these people that are legendary. You know, one time I, I jumped out of my convertible in Beverly Hills. I was going to have breakfast at Nate and Al's and I just did a like, ta-da! like that nobody was watching i was just farting around i you know i jumped out of it and i hear this clapping like this <laughs> and, and i and i turn around and and look look up and this this quiet little man walks up very gracefully and says oh, that was very funny <laughs> and, and i said well thank you mr astaire <laughs> and it was fred astaire you know wow and I just talked to him for a minute or two. And, I, and then he, he said, see you later and walked on. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, when, and then one time I was uh, 
I was uh, in New York researching the Shakespeare play that I told you about that that story, and um, uh, a friend of mine lived in this building where Tennessee Williams had an apartment. So I went and knocked on his door and said, "Can I uh, interview you for this theater magazine?" A friend of mine ran back in Los Angeles. He said, "Yeah, for sure." So you know, if you if you are courageous, you don't necessarily have to set out to be a hero, but if you are courageous and you're just your genuine self, you can accomplish so much more in life that people think they're not capable of accomplishing. 100%. Uh, one mm -hmm. of the things, and there's so much to cover, and I'm I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit that, that I, I'm not going to get all of it into this hour, but that's okay. okay. Um, I know one of the things that you're, you've been doing, and I've been a follower reading your stuff, because one, I think your writing is excellent, and your storytelling, but you have a... Um, uh, a Substack newsletter, as I do, but yours is a lot. You, I, you're a writer. I'm. I just put information up there. But uh, this is your uh, one of the things called uh, chasing Mark Twain, and it's on Substack. I'll put up the link for people, and it just tells a little bit of a journey, your story that is just fascinating. I mean, I'm just because the amount of people you've come across and who you've uh, uh, got involved both in Scientology, out of Scientology, in Hollywood, out of Hollywood, just the whole range of experiences you have going on that journey. You share that on your Substack, and I recommend that people uh, um, read it, subscribe to it, uh, check out, and I know you're going to share some more stuff going forward with it. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, that was something that I was not courageous about writing for the longest time. And then Lisa Marie Presley, who I knew, died unexpectedly. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I won't live forever. <laughs> I better tell this story, you know. And the reason I did not write it for a long time was because I thought people would, would think I was just nuts. Because on my, on my spiritual journey uh, in 1973, I was reading all these books about religion and stuff and Edgar Cayce. And I read all his stuff too. Yeah. 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 So suddenly I realized why I would think I'd lived before and why I'd see things and think I've been here. I've done this. Right. So I came across this book called Mr. Clemens and Mark Twain by Justin Kaplan. And it was all about Twain's life. And it, and, and as I read it, I started realizing that I knew what would happen next, even though I had not read about Twain before. Right. And I don't know if I even read Huck Finn at that time, maybe Tom Sawyer. And so uh, it, it, instead of solving the religion problem of the world, I thought I want to have a family like that. And I thought maybe I was him. And I want to find the the woman he was married to, and like she's reincarnated like I am, right? And and then I thought, well, maybe this is just crazy. And then one day, this is a real thing that happened, and it, it's hard to convince people that it happened unless they've had something similar happen. I was alone in the house. It was sunset. I was looking for an aspirin. I had a headache. The only and I took one aspirin and, and it was the only drug of any kind I had for a year, not even a beer. I don't think I even had a beer. 
And, and I looked in the, I closed the medicine cabinet door, mirror door. And I looked in, in the mirror and it was Mark Twain's face staring back at me. Not the white haired Mark Twain that so many people know, but the younger Sam Clemens. And so then I was like, Oh boy. And then I had relatives out from Texas and they were, they were berating me about I'm wasting my life. You could be a, you're so smart. You can be a doctor or a lawyer and da, 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 da. And I said, no, I'm going to be a writer. Just like I always thought I'd be a writer. Well, what makes you think you could be a writer? And I said, well, you know, people like these stories I've written and uh, I've, I've been a writer before. What do you mean before? And, and, and my aunt goes, don't tell me you think you were Shakespeare. <laughs> you know? And I said, uh, I said, no, I think I was Mark Twain. <laughs> and, and so everybody's jaw went, uh, like that. And then my aunt said, well, what are you going to do to live up to it? And I'm like, what? You know? So anyway, then that then I got into Scientology. I did some early auditing. And I this scene came to me early on of Sam Clemens with his family, young family, in an autumn carnival atmosphere, walking around. And this is nothing I'd seen on TV, nothing I'd seen in pictures, but it was just like being in the movie. So after that, I was like, holy moly. And then I would run into people who had similar things in the, in the Scientology thing, right? So finally, put all that behind me. I don't give a damn about that. I'm just going to try to you know, I just, I'm just doing my life. It's a pain in the ass to think you had been somebody famous and you got to compete with yourself, you know, and, and, and if you mention it, people will think you're nuts, you know, and rightly so, I guess. But then, then in 1989, I was going to play Harry Chapin, uh, you know, Cats in the Cradle and, you know, Taxi, uh, all that stuff in the movie of his life. And I looked almost exactly like Harry at that time. And I got the, and so I went to New York to meet the producer. He gave me the, he said, you got the part that night. And that night, uh, this girl walked into this theater uh, and we just kept staring at each other. And, and I, the next day I went up to Stockbridge, Massachusetts, because I was going to do a sequel to Alice's restaurant with Arlo Guthrie. And so I was, I was, I was flying high, you know, and then I got back and I called this girl in uh, New York city. And I said, you know, so tell me about yourself. You know, you're a model. She said, yeah, part-time I'm a Ford model. I work on wall street. And I said, what do you do in your spare time? Oh, you'll think I'm crazy. What do you mean? I'll think you're crazy. She said, I go look for books. And I said, well, okay. What kind of books? She said, well, there's one particular author. I've got a, poster of him on my wall and I said oh who and she goes no you'll think I'm crazy and I said no I won't think you're crazy hell I'm in Scientology <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so, so she said uh <clears throat> she said Mark Twain and I said why Mark Twain she says I think I used to be married to him huh so six months later we're married, you know, the Arlo movie didn't happen. The Harry Chapin movie didn't happen, but we have two kids, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and she got me out of Scientology. And I, th this is where, um, 
Well, when we, everybody, I recommend check out your your Substack uh, um, pages and subscribe to it because the story is fascinating. And like you said, it's just it's so if you don't know uh, any of that uh, stuff, Hollywood or or Scientology, it's going to be really hard to under, to understand how it, the journey you went on. But right. even uh, for me, understanding a lot of of that still, it was fascinating. And, and so I recommend everybody to definitely check it out now. I was going to go down this road with you of Scientology, and I want to because I'm a. I always been fascinated by cults um, for a lot of different reasons. I never was. A, I read about all kinds of different things like Scientology. I was never a member myself. The closest I came was being a member of. I'll call it a semi cult, uh, being a communist. Um, so we'll call that a semi-cult, right? So Big semi-cult. <laughs> yeah, it didn't make it all the way to a full cult, but it was, it, it, yeah, there was moments. Um, so, you know, understand, and I, and I got out of that, obviously, and so, or at least not obviously, but I got out of it. And so for, you know, we kind of went on different journeys. So I really would love to, I think what we need to do is do a, a show on cults, talking about Scientology, talking about political cults, religious cults, and, and just, you know, how it affects why people joined them, what they get potentially good out of it, but what's the, the negative side. And then in your case, your journey out of the cult. But I'd love to go into that. But I, okay. think, we, I think we couldn't do it in five minutes. No. I, just think, I don't think that's fair to the topic or fair to uh, what the, the story would be. Um, it'd be like going to watch a feature film and you just you leave after five minutes. You, you, you didn't get it. Um, yeah, well, the main, I can tell you real quickly, the main thing about Scientology in Hollywood is that, uh, as, like I said, with John Travolta, at a certain point, it became smart, if you're particularly if you're an actor, to oh, get sure. involved with Scientology because of the networking. You had you had top you had top casting directors like Lisa London, who were Scientologists, and those guys would help each other out, and it had a Act, lot to do. Acting with, coaches like yeah. what's that famous acting coach? Milton Katsalas, Beverly Hills Playhouse. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. Yeah. So for a lot of people, the uh, the reason to join was we I guess we would call it opportunism to like yes. to move to forward their careers to be able to network and connect with people, and, and it would open up doors that they couldn't figure out how to open up otherwise. Right. Um, so there was the true believers, the people who really believed. And then there was the other people who were, you know, it was a stepping stone um, yeah. and they, they took advantage of it. Right. Um, yeah. and, but but that's fascinating, too, because at, at, you're right. At some point, it became the thing to do for Hollywood actors and uh, creatives in, in Hollywood. And it had its heyday when it was really going strong. And then it started to decline. And that's too. That's a fascinating story as well. And I just love to us to do a show just on that just to get into all of that because your perspective is from an insider mine is from an outsider yeah we should do that because nobody's really told the story of why those people got in and why it was such a community for them and how it was manipulated you know right. even leah remini and all her stuff they she still hadn't covered that right Paul Haggis was a friend of mine going clear you know still didn't cover that all interesting books, you know, so there's a whole story there to be told. Absolutely. Well, if you're open to doing it, I'd love to do an hour because I I mean, I, I'd love to explore it. Like I said, because it fascinates, fascinates me how people both, uh, you know, allow themselves to give up their creative thinking, give up their uh, free thinking and follow leaders blindly 
uh, even when it's not in their interest anymore, when it starts to go against their own personal interests and they still stay caught up in the belief in the, the system uh, rather than having the courage or the thinking to be able to say no and step away. So, you yeah. Know. And, yeah. And it, and it covers, I could, we could cover also Est, which was an offshoot of Scientology, Ted yeah. Danson, people like that, you know? Yeah. It was and there's a, a few other ones now that are even crazier. I mean, you know, that are just out there. There was that one, um, the one about the cloning cult I just read about. They just did a Netflix thing about this French guy. And it was basically supposedly he had already learned how to clone people. And it was once again, a sex um, cult. You know, he's using it to get all these women to, to go to sleep with him. And yeah, it's fascinating how people are manipulated, but I'd love to have that conversation. But I, we have a few minutes more. I want to just talk about some of the other things that you might want to share. You know, we're in Hollywood. Um, oh, I got to throw this up just because it's fun. And I and, and I, I feel bad if I didn't. It is the Super Bowl. So I, I kind of came up with the fact that we need commercials, right? Because the, the halftime, it's all about commercials. So this is the first one I think, you know, that's sponsoring our show is Pfizer. Oh, wait, I, I just canceled that one. Forget that. <laughs> they're, go they're gone. Um, and here's our second commercial. Oh, wait, I just canceled that one, too. All right. So I, <laughs> so I guess we got no commercials. Sorry about that, folks. But um, oh, <laughs> I had to do that just in honor of Super Bowl and the commercials, <laughs> man, and, and my two favorite ones. Um Budweiser, Light, and Pfizer. But uh, but back to being serious, um, some of the journey, you know, going forward for you, I know you want to write a memoir, uh, and you're working on that, I think. Um, you know, the, the Substack was a step in that direction for you. Tell yeah. us a little bit about the future. Uh, what else are you uh, aiming to do, and what do you want to do uh, going forward? Well, I, you know, I, I, uh, I, I ghostwrite things for people, you know. There's, you know, I, I did the first draft of, of a, a famous conservative political figure in California, Larry Elder. I didn't say that. And, and uh, you know, and I do other stuff. I'm talking with some other people about things. I'm going to write the second half of the Chasing Mark Twain thing. It's I got to try and get Larry on my show, by the way. I've reached out to him a couple of times. We talked, but we haven't been. He's, he's still being resistant. So we got to get him. On, I got to get him on my show. I'll right. plug it. I'll plug it for you. Sounds you know? good. Yeah, Sounds he'll do good. it. He needs to. One thing I want to do with Larry Elder is I want to do a play from his dear father, dear son. Ah, uh, yeah, it's an excellent book. Yeah, and I and I and he he you know he's got uh, Ari Emanuel represents him represents Denzel, and so ah. he was he was trying to get Denzel to do a movie. I said, do a play, Larry, do a play, and get Denzel to do it. It'll be a hit on Broadway. Then you'll make the movie. Wow, so that's he, a great idea. Right. And so he didn't go for that. He, he was swinging for the home run. <laughs> then he told me I could write the play if I wanted to. And I said, well, maybe I will. Nobody's paying me. But, you know, so anyway, so going forward, I'd like to do something like that. I'm going to tell the second half of the uh, the Twain thing with the um, how the marriage broke up, uh, dealing with kids and even more Twain stuff that came up along the way. Dreams. uh spiritual stuff, uh, you know, that, and then I've got a, a novel I'm rewriting that, that was going to be published years ago. And I, so I'm taking the whole thing and I'm making it very current Hollywood and it's called Hollywood must die. <laughs> you know? I like that. 
Yeah, it's a real, it's a thriller story, and it's you know, it's real, real. It's it's you know, it's it's kind of a, uh, you know, Mike Michael Conley, somebody like that, you know. So I'm trying to get that done, and then I'm just you know, I'm just making a living editing books for people, ghostwriting things when they need them, you know, like that. And I've got a couple of screenplays sort of bouncing around out there, you know, same same old life. And I'm I'm just going to share this thing that I saw on um, one of your pages somewhere. I, you know that you talked about uh, it was uh, you had been working on a book with a, a billionaire, and you 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 had this phrase that you mentioned that thoughts lead to actions, actions le lead to habits, habits form character, and your character is your fate. And then you said you realized that this could be back engine engineered to handle problems that when you seem stuck. So if anybody wanted to know more, more about that, to contact you as well. I just thought that was an interesting comment because uh, it's so true. You know, it starts with our thoughts and then we take actions. And then, you know, if you keep doing it consistently, you build habits. You know, as a writer, you built habits as a writer. You got better as a writer because you had those habits of writing. And that's how we then we build character and we become who we are. And that creates your, your identity. So I just thought that was an interesting comment from you to, to share with people. Yeah, I, I will help anybody with that. I just, I did it. I, I was on a four hour phone call, WhatsApp with a, a lady in uh, Finland today. And I brought it up with her. It really works. You know, you, if you, you know, I've done it so much. I've done it with myself. When you can get down to the basic thought that got you started on a journey that might've been wrong and you back it down and you can find out where the whole thing started despite all the activities and everything you went through, you, when you pinpoint that the problem goes away, it just goes away. And, and it's like, uh, you know, it's like uh, cleaning the house and enjoying it again, you know? So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, no, I noticed that. I thought it was a good comment from you. I wanted to share that with everyone. Um, anything else you would like to leave us with? And then I'll, I'll wrap this up and then we will schedule an hour to come on and just have a, a great conversation about cults and um, the whole mindsets that lead to it. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I'm available for anybody that needs help with writing, you know, of anything, um, you know, feel free to get in touch with me, you know, skippress.com. Um, you know, I'm, I've been paying off debts the last few years and I've almost got them all paid off. And then once I have, then I'm going to be full fledged and just doing my own stuff, you know? And so, you know, even though it's tough economic times, I've been able to get through it and keep going, you know, so it's, you know, but I've, I've, I, I feel like my best writing has not yet been out there. So I feel like I'm starting to get that out there, odd as that might sound. Well, you know, it, 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 it's funny, odd as it might sound, but at the same time, it just shows that, you know, the journey keeps continuing for you and you still have that sense of, you know, where you are in this life, no matter how long of a life you've lived, you still have that adventurous life. You still have that, you know, you're going to keep creating as a creator and you're going to, uh, you know, supplant, uh, surpass what you've done so far. And I think that's just a great way for people to live a life, to live a courageous life and to just live life, you know, um, to, to, to pursue it with the, that kind of attitude like you have right now. Well, look at our hero, Clint Eastwood. He's 93 now, and he's still making movies, man. I know. Well, yeah. I, I say I want to be shooting baskets at 95 on the basketball court. So, you know, yeah. if, if Clint can do it, I'm going to follow that path, too. Why not, right? Yeah, you'll probably get there because, look, we're you know they've got so many things they're coming up with all the time. 
people are there's so many people living to be a hundred these days it's amazing you know it's amazing so no matter how old you are you got to just do it well, uh, well once again skip thank you for taking the time thank you for sharing your journey uh if everybody wants to check you out uh skip press uh on substack and then skippress.com on your website correct so yeah. if they want to connect yeah. with you go to both both of those uh sites uh look forward in the future we're going to have a great conversation about cults if you know, you're going to get the insides and the outsides of uh, what that life is like. And uh, I hope you join us then. So, Skip, have a great one. I'm going to close us out and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. It's been great. All right. Thank you. Okay. So, everyone, uh, once again, I hope uh, the show today with Skip inspired you with his adventurous life and his creative life and his continuing uh, adventures. And if you haven't seen the previous 64 podcast, with some of my amazing courageous friends. You can check them out on YouTube, my channel, Live Courageously. And uh, please, if you get a chance, do what I'm about to ask you to do. It'd be fun. Do this. Subscribe to the, the, the YouTube channel. And once again, I'll see you next uh, Sunday and every Sunday after that on all these places, Facebook, X, uh, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and you can also listen on Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, and iTunes. Have a great one. <laughs>